1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 11. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Now we're talking about miracles in this series of lessons. And by the way, if you haven't heard what went before, let me encourage you to go back and you can uh, review that message again. If you weren't here before, I'm sorry that you missed half your life, but thank God you're here today. But here we go with an introduction. What happened to Israel, this is important, what happened to Israel under the old covenant is an example for us who are living in the new. And the Greek word translated example in this verse, tupos, means a type or a pattern, a type or a pattern. The Weymouth translation says, all this kept happening to them with a figurative meaning. The Passion translation says, it was a symbolic picture. Now, what happened to Israel was an actual historical experience. It's not just a, a fairy tale or some imaginary story. It's, it's, it actually happened, but often what happened to them has an allegorical meaning for us that can be directly applied to us. Now, not everything in the Bible is symbolic, but some things do have a symbolic lesson. The ancient Israelites are a type or a picture of the Christian. In many ways, they represent God's people today. That's what Paul is saying in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. You can read the chapter. Their deliverance from slavery in Egypt is a type or a picture of our salvation and separation from the world. In fact, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 2, that when they passed through the Red Sea, that is a picture, or that symbolizes water baptism. And the tests that they experience in the wilderness are a type or a shadow of the temptations and the challenges that we face as Christians. And the Israelites were headed into Canaan, the land that God promised to Abraham and his descendants. Now, traditionally, I don't know if you know this, but traditionally theologians, Bible scholars, ministers, traditionally theologians have said that Canaan's land, the promised land, represents heaven. That's a symbol of heaven. And it's often preached that way. Many times in churches, people say, well, I'm, I'm on my way to the promised land. And what they mean is I'm going to go to be in, in glory in heaven. Well, if that's true, it's a very imperfect comparison. I said, if that's true, it's a very imperfect comparison. There are no giants to kill in heaven. There are no walled cities to take in heaven. There are no battles to fight in heaven. When you get to heaven, the last battle will have been fought. No, the giants are here. 
the walled cities, the challenges, they are here in this life. Some people, they say, when we get to heaven, we'll have victory. No, my friend. Victory means overcoming an enemy, and you have no enemies in heaven. If you're ever going to be an overcomer, it's going to be now in this life. Can I get an amen? See, what you're doing is you're really giving yourself a theological excuse for living in defeat. And that's not what God wants for you. God wants something better than that for you. Amen. I think, and many would agree, I think that the promised land symbolizes all the blessings that belong to us in Christ. The promised land is a type of all the blessings which are ours in Christ. And in the scriptures, in the Old Testament, God repeatedly referred to that land as Israel's inheritance, their inheritance. But we also have an inheritance. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 11 says that in Christ we have obtained an inheritance. Their inheritance was a land, a land rich in resources. Ours is all the benefits that accompany salvation. Glory to God. Now, some people think the only benefit we have is going to heaven, and obviously that's the best benefit. That truly is the best, but that's not the end of the matter. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Praise the Lord. Now, let's go on. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in, notice this, and go in and possess, go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. So that's interesting. Even though God had promised this land to the Israelites, in fact, he swore in blood. It was a covenant promise. Even still, the Israelites had to go in and possess it. They did not wait for their inheritance to just fall in their lap. They didn't stay home, you know, and sip on tea and chew on biscuits by the fire in the kitchen and just say, well, one day my inheritance is coming. They had to go and get it. Hallelujah. They had to rise up and take hold of it. And in doing so, they had to face enemies. They encountered opposition. It wasn't a walk in the park for them, but God was with them, and they overcame. In the same way, we have an inheritance in Christ. For example, healing is ours. Healing, do you know that healing legally belongs to every child of God? Matthew 8, 17 says, He, meaning Christ, He took our illnesses and bore. Bore means to carry away our diseases. But we will not experience divine healing just because it's written in the Bible 
or just because it legally belongs to us. We have to appropriate it by faith. For that matter, salvation has been purchased for the whole world. God so loved the world that he gave his son. But even though it's God's will for every sinner to be saved, it doesn't happen automatically. They have to know it. They have to believe it. They have to receive it, the gift of salvation. Can you say amen to that? Praise the Lord. So when it comes to our inheritance, we must be determined. And this is where many people fail. We must be determined to possess it. And there are enemies to healing. There are enemies and you will not receive the fullness of the blessing until you overcome them. Are you listening to me? Another thought here, too. Moses is a picture of the old covenant. Mo- through Moses came the law, but Moses could not take the Israelites into the promised land. He could bring them out of Egypt, but he couldn't take them into the, their inheritance. Joshua... Really, in my opinion, Joshua is a type of Christ. I didn't say he is Christ. I mean, symbolically, we can see some similarities. He's like a representation to us. Joshua is a type of Christ. In fact, I don't know if you know this, but the Greek word Jesus is the Greek form of the Hebrew name Joshua. So in Hebrew, his name is Yeshua Hamashiach, which means Jesus Christ in Greek, but in Hebrew, it's actually Joshua. Did you know that? And just as Moses could not take the Israelites into the land, we cannot take hold of our inheritance by our own merits, by our own goodness, by our own ability. It's through the grace of of Jesus Christ, that we are saved, and it's by his grace also that we take hold of our inheritance. So you need to know that. But there are enemies. Israel's enemies were human beings, but our opposition is from demonic forces arrayed against us who are attempting to thwart the plan of God. You don't think so? How many Sunday mornings have you arisen and a little voice seemed to say to your head, Oh, you're tired. It looks like it might rain. I don't think you'll get an auto. And how many Christians say, that's right. Now, you didn't do that this morning, so you should smile brightly. I mean, the enemy is, is, is not your best friend. He's trying to hinder you from receiving your inheritance. And we fight the good fight of faith. The first city that the Israelites under Joshua faced was Jericho. Jericho. So again, we've been examining the miracles in the Bible so that we can walk in the supernatural. I just have that stirring in my spirit that we're not walking in the supernatural enough. We got saved and every now and then answered a prayer and thank God for that. But I think that God is stirring up the body of Christ or maybe just the people in our generation here, I don't know, to to walk into a greater measure of the power of God in their life. Amen. The Christian life is not a natural life. It's a supernatural life. 
Our God is a God of miracles. The new birth is an astounding miracle. And God wants us to live in the realm of the miraculous. It may seem tempting to just live a natural life just with your own human reasoning and your own human resources. But how many of you found out that after a while that doesn't go anywhere? that that's boring, that that's never in the end going to be completely satisfying. I believe that there must be a hunger, a stirring in your heart for more than just having a nice house and a nice car and nice clothes. Even sinners have those things. I believe there's something in your heart that's crying out for more of God. Amen. Praise the Lord. But miracles don't happen randomly without rhyme or reason. There are spiritual principles which cause God's power to be released in our lives. In other words, miracles don't happen because God is throwing dice or flipping a coin. Heads, you're healed. Tails, you die. No, no, no. There are spiritual laws, spiritual laws which determine the miraculous. And if we will put these laws into practice, we will possess our inheritance. In other words, you don't have to die in the wilderness. You don't have to wander around the rest of your life dry, barely making it, frustrated, only for your bones to rot in the sands. You can go into a land flowing with milk and honey. You can live in God's best blessings. Can I get a witness today? Now, Jericho was a heavily fortified city. It was an impregnable fortress. Many cities in that day were walled cities. Some archaeologists say that Jericho was one of the oldest walled, or one of the first walled cities. And humanly speaking, it would have been impossible for the Israelites to conquer it, and yet that's the first place they went. That's the first place they went. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? Many times God will not cause you to skirt around difficulty. Well, let's take some of these little villages that are kind of small and easy. He said, no, we're going to go right for the jugular. We're going to go right to the devil's stronghold. You may think I'm confrontational, but I think if you have some faith in your heart, you won't be such a wimp. Let's continue. Turn with me now to Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. We're going to look at this miracle in Jericho. And Joshua 5, 13, that was a long introduction. You may think the sermon's over. No, we're ready now. <laughs> Joshua chapter 5, but this won't be as long. Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14. Notice this. When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold... A man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? And he said, No, I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped. And said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? Hmm. This is the beginning of the process of this miracle. It began 
right here. Of course, it, it included everything that, all the steps that led up to that point. As Joshua stood in the plains of Jericho, a man suddenly appeared with a sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and asked him, are you for us are, or are you for our enemies? And the man curiously answered, no. Well, it's, it's not a yes or no question. In other words, neither one. He said, you've, you've misunderstood. I am the commander of the army of the Lord. He was not of this world. He was either an angel from heaven or possibly, possibly, it was even a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus himself. You say, well, how could that be? Have you ever never read, never read Genesis chapter 18? where Abraham was sitting by the tent door and three men approached him. Later on, the Bible calls two of them angels, and one of them is called the Lord. And he said to Abraham, let me tell you what I'm going to do in Sodom and Gomorrah. I won't hide it from you because you're my covenant friend. Woo, hallelujah. So whether it was an angel or the Lord, I don't know, but I know it wasn't just an ordinary man. Now, how did Joshua respond when he saw this angel? Did he say, awesome, Woo-hoo, glory. I've never met an angel before. I thought you would have wings, but oh man, this is so cool. What is heaven like? Can you sign my Bible? No. He bowed down to the ground and worshiped God. Nobody told him to do that. He knew instinctively This is the correct response. Let me give you a little help. Irreverence robs us of revelation. Irreverence robs us of revelation. We have too casual an attitude about the things of God. But but Joshua did not share that opinion. And then Joshua said, what does my Lord say to his servant? He didn't say, what's up? Yo, what do you want? Why are you here? See, before honor comes humility. Joshua didn't say, hey, do you know who I am? I was Moses' right-hand man. I've been with him all these years, and now I'm the king around here. I'm the, I'm the big banana. You, you know, look at who I am. No, no, he humbled himself. And the angel, or maybe it was the Lord, said to him in verse 15, very interesting, take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. Now, that, that would, if I was the angel, that's not what I would say. What do you want me to do? Take off your shoes. I mean, that would not be the first thing that would come out of my mouth. What's so holy about Jericho? The place where you're standing is holy, so take off your shoes. What's so holy about Jericho? Wherever the Lord is, that place is holy. That can be in your bedroom. That can be here in this church. That can be, you know, sitting in the back seat of a vehicle. That that can be, you know, 
in a prayer meeting, that, that can be anywhere, but where the Lord manifests himself, that place is holy. Amen? So for Joshua, as an ancient Middle Eastern man, taking off his shoes was a sign of respect, great respect. I don't even want to dirty this place with my footprints, my dirty footprints. Now, we're, we don't normally do that in our culture, but did you consider this? In 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 4, this may surprise you, 1 Corinthians eleven four 4 says that if a man prays wearing a hat, he dishonors God. I didn't write the Bible. I said in 1 Corinthians, New Testament, if a man prays or prophesies wearing a hat, he's dishonoring God. You know, sometimes we're just too casual again. If you're real nonchalant about things, you know, we're just there chewing gum while we pray, you know, and, and, and real casual, you'll never experience the fullness of God's presence. Now, see, when I was a boy raised in the Presbyterian church, I think they understood something about reverence, but they had kind of a fake reverence, you know. They thought reverence means that when you walk in the church building, you look down at your feet and count your toes or something, you know, and you never smiled or said anything. That, that's, that's really a, a, an artificial kind of reverence. That's not what we're really talking about. We were not aware of God's presence. We were self-conscious. I hope I'm dressed okay. Is anybody looking at me? That, that's not reverence for God. That's just fear of man. See, well, I, I don't really want to sing or shout or clap my hands, you know, because I'm being reverent. No, 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 you're being a chicken. Reverence for God means you're more aware of him than you are of anybody else in this room. You don't need anybody's permission to praise God. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. By the way, while we're on the subject, isn't it interesting that the word glory in the Bible has two meanings? The word glory, we say it all the time, glory, glory to God. The word glory has two meanings. The first meaning is honor. The second, word, the second meaning is a technical term. It means the presence of God. And they go together. That's no coincidence. If you want the presence of God, you're going to have to honor God. You honor him, and the first thing he does is he honors you. How? With his presence. Praise the Lord. Now, from reading Joshua chapter 5, verse 13 and 14 and into 15, as I read already, you might think in your Bible that that's the end of that encounter. The story ends there, and then we move on to something else. But actually, that's not true. In the next chapter, Joshua chapter 6, the angel of the Lord, and it might be the Lord, begins to give Joshua the instructions. This is how you are going to take Jericho. Hallelujah. And that's the whole reason he showed up. The angel appeared to him. And it says in Joshua chapter 6, verse 2, And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand with its king and mighty men of valor. Now that was a very peculiar thing to say. Because Joshua is right there in the plains of Jericho. He can look up and he can see that the walls of Jericho are still impregnable. They're still standing and nothing has changed. But the Lord said, I've given it to you. God, you have to understand something about God. God 
calls things that do not exist as though they already did. He speaks, God speaks as if the thing he desired was already accomplished. While Sarah was still barren and childless, God told Abraham, I have made you, Romans 4, 17, I have made you the father of many nations. He didn't say, I'm going to do it. He said, I have made you the father of many nations. And Abraham believed it. And he eventually became what God said he was. You need to know this. You need, you need the power of God in your life. You need God to help you. The power of God is in his words. When God wants to do something, he doesn't just roll up his sleeve, you know, and, and get busy. When God wants to do something, he speaks. That's how he does it. How did he create the world in Genesis chapter 1? He spoke. And when God says it's done, it's done. It's not done when you feel any better, when you see it, when the circumstances have changed. It's done when God says it's done. Are listening to me? So notice and consider carefully the past tense of God's word. The Bible tells me in 1 Peter 2.24, by his wounds you have been healed. Then again, we read earlier, Matthew 8.17, he took our sicknesses and bore our diseases. These verses are not telling you something God wants to do in your life. This is telling you what he's already done. In Galatians 3.13, we read Christ redeemed us. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. And the curse of the law includes sickness and infirmity. Christ has already set you free from the curse of cancer. Christ has already liberated you from corona. He's already purchased your freedom from any kind of disease like malaria or TB or high blood pressure or liver problems. He has. He's, is he going to? Nah. He has redeemed you. You see, you need to understand the finished work of Christ. He said to Joshua, I have given Jericho into your hand. He put the victory in the past tense. God puts your healing in the past tense. And when you do the same thing, it will be manifested in your life. Every time, listen carefully, every time you request prayer, you're saying it's not done. How many times have we prayed for people, especially for healing? And before we even leave the room, they say, and don't forget to keep praying for me. What for? See, you're saying, it's not done. Everybody you meet, pray for me, pray for me. You're saying, it's not done. So it's not done. Every time you praise God for your healing, you're saying, it's done. It's done. 
See, you're undoing your own prayers because of your religious tradition and bad habits. At some point, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, it is done. God has given me the city. Praise the Lord. I've given you Jericho. Joshua could have said, oh, that's nice to know, and then just sat down waiting for something to happen. But then, in the, priest, the following verses, the angel of the Lord, or the Lord, gives Joshua a plan of action. He gives him specific instructions to follow. With every promise, there is also a plan. There's also a plan. Heaven has a strategy. Listen carefully to me. Heaven has a strategy for each victory. So miracles have less to do with asking and more to do with listening. Joshua said, what do you want your servant to do? And that's the last thing he said. Then God's telling him, this is what you are going to do. Praise the Lord. Detailed instructions. You know the story, I'm sure. Seven priests are going to blow seven trumpets, followed by the ark of God, the ark of the covenant, and the men of war. For seven days, you'll march around the city of Jericho one time. On the seventh day, seven times. The seventh time, blow the trumpets and shout, and the walls will come down. Now, the Bible tells me in Hebrews 11.30, this is a, the Holy Spirit's commentary on this story. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. You know this, that faith obeys the voice of God even when it seems unreasonable. I said, faith obeys the voice of God. Joshua could have said, Lord, if you want all of us to do those things, then have this angel appear to everybody. Because if I tell them, they're just going to think I, I, I had a bad dream or something. like that. They think that, you know, that, that I imagined this. But that's not how God works. Do you ever remember in the New Testament, Jesus appeared to Mary Magdalene, the other women, after he was raised from the dead. He appeared to two others as they were walking on the road to Emmaus. And then later, he appeared to all his disciples, and he rebuked them because they had not believed those who had told them he was alive. If God gives his word to someone to share to you, he wants you to believe it. Now, some Christians think that if they need a miracle, they need to have a Jericho march. There's a very, very superficial understanding of the Bible, actually. See, they think, oh, Joshua, children of Israel, they march on Jericho. So we need healing in our home. So, you know, husband, wife, children, we're all going to march around the compound. <clears throat> Jericho was the only place where the Israelites did that. They didn't say, okay, that's the formula. 
from now on, anywhere we go, we got to do seven times. We got to do the seven march thing that we did. We got now. No, no, this is the only time they did that. Just because the Lord instructed you to do something one way, that doesn't mean that the next time that's also what He wants you to do. We make a terrible mistake. See, every time you not only need the word, you need to hear from the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. And by the way, your name is not Joshua. Well, some of you, but, but it's not the son of none. <laughs> you're not the son of none. You're the son of somebody. You're not the son of none. And you're not living at that time, at that moment. Even God didn't say that to Joshua, but more than once. Only once, you see. Praise the Lord. So Joshua chapter 6, verse 10. So they, they obeyed the Lord. They obeyed the Lord. And in Joshua chapter 6, verse 10, but Joshua commanded the people, you shall not shout or make your voice heard. Neither shall any word go out of your mouth until the day I tell you to shout, and then you shall shout. So think about it. For seven days, one whole week, the nation of Israel, the, the men of, of valor, along with the priests and the Ark of the Covenant, they marched around the city in total silence. In total silence. And Joshua's instructions were very emphatic. They're very strict. He didn't say kind of keep it down. He said not a single word out of your mouth until I tell you to shout. I mean, you know, seems a little bit overbearing, seems a little bit legalistic, seems a little bit tyrannical, you know. Why did Joshua say that? Actually, the angel, as far as what I read, the angel didn't say anything about that. Why did Joshua say that? See, he has just spent 40 years in the wilderness with these folks. He knows them. He knows them real well. And he knows if they start talking, they're going to talk themselves right out of God's miracle. Are you listening to me? Some people would be so blessed if they would just keep their mouth shut. Come on. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. As they marched around the city, and I don't know how big Jericho was, but I'm sure it's bigger than, you know, just this church compound. I don't know how big it is, but it's, it's some size. As they marched around it, perhaps, I mean, I would just imagine, perhaps the people of Jericho are on the wall looking down at them. <laughs> right? I don't know. My impression is that maybe the people in Jericho felt very secure, you know? And, and, and they probably taunted the Israelites. Hey, dummy, <laughs> where you going? How's the weather down there? You know, I'm sure he, they made them feel silly. You're never going to breach these walls. You're wasting your time. And I can imagine those Israelites just marching And one of them hits his friend and says, this is silly. Shh, I'm this is silly. 
I feel stupid. This is, this is, I feel like an idiot. I, I feel like an idiot too. I don't think this is not God. I, know, I don't think it's God either. I tell you what, I have a better plan. I think we ought to have a vote. I think we should elect a new president. And they talk themselves right out of the miracle. Amen. If you cannot speak words of faith, speak nothing at all. I said, if you cannot speak words of faith, then speak nothing at all. I know when you're hurting, there's a great temptation to tell everybody you bump into, even total strangers, I'm hurting. You don't look so good. I'm not doing good. You tell everybody online, how you doing? Not good. Pray for me. I don't have it, so pray for me. Everybody you see in church, pray for me. How you doing? Not so good. Hmm? If you can't speak words of faith, say nothing at all. Are listening to me? You don't need human sympathy. You need divine intervention. If you tell people, I don't feel good, they may rub your backside and slobber over you, but that's not going to change your life. You need something a whole lot more than Horlicks and a Hallmark greeting card. You need the power of God in your life. And isn't it funny when you don't feel good, everybody seems to ask you, how you doing? How do you feel? How do you feel? I feel like believing God. Inside, you may just be hurting. I believe God's word. Why? Because I'm marching around these walls. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. In the Bible, seven is a number of completeness. There's seven days in a week. To win the battle, it requires complete obedience. I think a lot of people I know, maybe even, even, even here this morning, I don't know. I'm not looking at anybody. I think some people I know, after that first lap around Jericho, you know, next day, okay, everybody wake up. Time to march on Jericho. I, don't, I didn't sleep well last night. My back is killing me. I think I'll just sit this one out. No, no. Completeness. What's another word for incomplete obedience? Disobedience. <laughs> Faith obeys. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. And it also required some patience. Why didn't God just tear the wall down the first day? Wouldn't that be a lot easier than going through all this stuff? It requires some patience. By now, you must know God does not confer with your daytimer when he plans the miracle. He does not work according to your schedule. Now, Lord, I'd like you to heal me. If you could do it maybe this afternoon. At, well, I'm going to have my lunch, and then we'll take my nap. So maybe 4.30, but at 7, my favorite TV program comes on. So if, God don't care about your schedule. You're going to have to adapt to his schedule. He may wake you up in the middle of the night and say, now praise me. <laughs> Thank you for your enthusiasm. Maybe you need to wake up right now. Hallelujah. But on the seventh day, oh, glory, the seventh time around, the priest blew the trumpet, and Joshua said these words, Shout, for the Lord has given you the city. Hey, you think he said, Shout, and the Lord will give you the city. Shout, and then the walls will come down. That's not actually what he said. He said, 
It's already yours. It's already done because God said it. They shouted with a voice of triumph. I don't think they shouted in frustration. Ah, my feet are killing me. I don't think they shouted in anger. I think they shouted in triumph, in victory. We know, we know according to Hebrews 11, they shouted with the shout of faith. I didn't put this in my notes, but Smith Wigglesworth said this, real faith has perfect peace and joy and a shout at any time. It always sees the victory. Real faith has perfect peace and joy and a shout. I think some people, they have incomplete faith. They got the peace and they got some joy, but they don't have the shout. I said, they don't have the shout. Come on, Joshua said, shout. Joshua said, shout. I I think some people, if they were Spirit of Faith members, if they had been there there that day walking, Joshua said, shout, they would have said, eh. That's true. Some of you, bless your darling hearts. If the Lord said, shout, you would go, eh, eh, like a balloon with a slow leak. Like a deflated tire. He said, shout. Shout. I say, he said, shout. Come on, come on, friend. Let me just help you out. If you can't shout here, you're kidding yourself to think you'll shout out there. If you can't shout in this Holy Ghost church surrounded by believers who are radically on fire for God, you're never going to shout anywhere. Not for the Lord. Shout. Verse 20. With a great shout, the people shouted. And the wall fell down flat. So the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they captured the city. Man, a lot of preparation. But the manifestation came in a moment. Seems like God's wasting time. No, he's setting you up for a great miracle. I don't know how tall and thick the walls of Jericho were, and I don't think anybody does, to be honest. But I'm sure of this. They're taller than, like, our ordinary boundary wall, like we have around the compound. Huh? I don't think, like, you know, maybe five, six foot tall, just, you know, one brick thick, and they're marching, you know. No, 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 I'm sure these are, these, these are thick walls. <laughs> The Bible tells me that Rahab, the harlot, her house was in the wall, not near the wall, embedded inside the wall, or maybe on top of the wall. So it must have been a fairly, I mean, they didn't have like a little brick thick house, they had a a regular house, so it must have been a fairly thick wall. And notice in verse 20, Joshua 6, 20, it says the wall fell down flat. See, we think it crumpled into this big pile of rocks and stones. It didn't. That it just began to crack and, and hear all these mounds and heaps of stones and rocks. No, no, no. Because it says every Israelite went straight into the city. They, they went straight ahead. They didn't have to climb over a mountain of debris. Besides that, they had promised Rahab because she let the spies into her home. They promised her, we will save you, no harm will come to you, but you have to stay inside your house, and her house is in the wall. 
So if it just all crumbled, her house would have crumbled. It had been like a, a condo in Miami, you know? And, you know, we're trying to find Rahab, uh, bring out the sniffer dogs. No, 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 the, that's not what happened. The Hebrew says that the wall fell down under itself. That's curious. The wall fell down under itself. The Amplified Bible, the classic version, says the wall fell down in its place. I don't know. I don't think you know either. I don't know. (laughs) But perhaps it didn't just like fall down. Perhaps it sank into the earth. In other words, maybe, and I don't know, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not sure, okay? But maybe one minute Rahab has a penthouse. And after they shouted, her home was on the ground floor. like a lift being lowered down to the ground floor, and then they all just walk straight ahead. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And nothing is too difficult for God. You may be saying, well, I don't really need to conquer any cities right now, but there's something you need to conquer, I'm sure, like that. And it may seem just as difficult as a walled city. It may be a debt that needs to be taken care of, canceled, and paid for. It may be sickness or disease in your life or or in the life of your loved ones. It may be some problem, uh, opportunity that seems to have eluded you. But this story is not in the Bible just so Pastor John will have something to talk about on Sunday morning. This is a pattern and a lesson for us to follow so that we can have the same kind of victory in our lives. And if God can do the big thing, like tear down the walls of Jericho, I'm sure he can pay your rent. I'm sure he can find you a husband. I'm sure he can solve your marital problem. I'm sure he can give you a job. I'm sure he can do the lesser thing. Can I get an amen today? A missionary in China named Rosa Smith, many years ago, contracted smallpox. And she faced dire circumstances, especially at that time. There was no vaccine, no cure, no hope of survival. She didn't beg God. She didn't hope and pray that he would do something. She didn't start a prayer chain. But in faith, she asked the Lord what she should do. See, God has a plan. God has a strategy for every victory. Instead of saying, God, why don't you do something? Why don't you say, Lord, what would you have me to do? That's what Joshua said. And the Lord told her, praise me. Praise me for my faithfulness to my word. Then the Lord showed this woman, Rosa Smith, a missionary in China, the Lord showed her a vision of an empty basket labeled praise. He told her that when she filled that basket to the top, she would receive her healing. So even as ill as she was, she began singing and shouting and praising the Lord. The doctors thought she was delirious and told her to be quiet, but she kept on praising. When they told her that even if she did recover, she would be disfigured for life, she praised louder than ever. She shouted and praised and sang unto the Lord until the Lord showed her the basket was full, the basket of praise was full and overflowing. And then she fell asleep. 
And when she woke up, all her symptoms had vanished and there were no visible scars or markings or disfigurement on her face at all. She was completely healed. We call that the praise cure. When Joshua said shout, he didn't say vent your frustrations. He said shout because the Lord has given you the city. You can shout your way to victory. You know, if you shout unto the Lord, you'll spend less time shouting at your husband. I feel like for some of us, a lot of requests have been made. Oh, God, help me. Oh, God, bless me. Oh, God, use me. Oh, God, strengthen me. But the, 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 the petition basket is full, and the praise basket is almost empty. But I believe for many of us, when that basket is full, the walls will come down. <laughs> 